Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. When issues and things become more important to us, then our commitment to Christ and our following of Christ, they become an idol. Anything that comes between you and your commitment to the Lord becomes an idol. Yeah, that means that sometimes family becomes idol. A spouse, uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, children, uh, a job, riches, uh, anything that we might have, anything that we look and see that comes in between our walk and our commitment with the Lord Jesus Christ becomes an idol. And you know, the interesting thing is every one of these idols is temporary. Is there anything you wouldn't give up or let go of for the sake of Christ? Some things are easily recognized as idols, but others are not. As Pastor David points out, even our relationships can become idols. Anything that takes priority over our devotion to Jesus is an idol. Those relationships or material possessions can be good things, and they are blessings from God. Yet they are only temporary. Our focus needs to be primarily on following Jesus, no matter the cost. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Temporary Distractions. There is absolutely no doubt that God has created for us a beautiful world. You, you really can look in, in many places all, all around our world and we see just the beauty of the creation. You only have to go outside at night and particularly living in a small town, uh, we, it's a little bit easier for us to be able to look up and see the stars and the splendor and the majesty of all that God has created. God has created all of these things and the beauty of all the things that we behold, everything that you and I behold. I mean, we could go to uh, the great wonders of this world. We could go to the, uh, some of the beauty of the, the islands in the South Pacific. We could go to the Grand Tetons. We could go to the Swiss Alps. We could go to, to just any place that you would imagine is absolutely beautiful, beautiful. You gotta realize it's all just temporary. It's all temporary. And I believe that at any moment, at any time, we could hear that trumpet call, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be gathered to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I am looking forward to that day. And the more I look forward to that day, the more I realize how temporary everything around us is. We don't come up on New Year's Day and say, well, it's my last year. What am I going to do? Maybe it'd be good if we actually did know that. Maybe we would be more focused in our lives. Some of us, maybe we'd be, we'd be scared beyond moving of any sort because we know we're not quite ready to meet our God. My hope and prayer is that you do know 
that as you pass from this room into the next. And for the believer, I believe that's exactly how it is. We, we go through that door, well, maybe not that door, but we go through the door of, of this realm right into the presence of our God. All of these personalities, all of these sports heroes, all of these movie and TV stars, the, most of them are soon going to be forgotten. Uh, some of them, the impact of their lives might live on for years. Some of them are probably more familiar to one generation than they are to another, but bear with me for a moment. I just remind you of some of those that entered into eternity this year. Of course, Carrie Fisher, uh, Leah of uh, Star Wars fame, uh, one of the, the big ones. And then the day after, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, passes away. Florence Henderson, mom to the Brady Bunch. Zsa Zsa Gabor. Hugh O'Brien, Patty Duke, Alan Thicke, Chief David Bald Eagle Jr., Gary Marshall, Alan Young, Gene Wilder, George Kennedy, Anton Yelkin. That's Chekhov for the Star Trekkies of Among Us. Gary Shandling, Dan Haggerty, that's Grizzly Adams. That's just a few of those in the show business industry. In the music industry, George Michael, Leonard Cohen, Leonard Russell of rock and roll fam, fame, uh, Ralph Stanley, bluegrass guy, Pete Fontaine, jazz, Merle Haggard, uh, Prince, uh, Maurice White, uh, one of the founding members of Earth, Wind, and Fire, Glenn Fry uh, from the group Eagles, David Bowie, and a variety of others. We, we lost Edgar Mitchell and John Glenn this year, astronauts. Shimon Perez, is former Israeli prime minister. Fidel Castro, former Cuban dictator. Anthony Scalia, I mean our Supreme Court justice. Nancy Reagan, former first lady. Morley Safer from 60 Minutes. Jose Fernandez, a baseball up-and-coming guy. Muhammad Ali, a boxing legend. Arnold Palmer, a golfing legend. Gordy Howe, a hockey legend. There's a lot of football legends that we lost to. By, by far, this is not an exhaustive list, but only some of the more popular ones, some of the icons of their particular fields. And the reason I list this is because I want us to understand and, and, and be dialed in on the fact that many within our culture have become idol worshipers. And we worship and we focus in on things that are absolutely temporary. It, it might not be a, a, a star, and, and I have no problem with, oh man, this guy, you know, he's my favorite football player, or I wear his jersey, or that's my mo favorite movie star, I have no problem with that. But when these kinds of things, and beyond personalities, when issues and things become more important to us than our commitment to Christ and our following of Christ, they become an idol. Anything that comes between you and your commitment to the Lord becomes an idol. Yeah, that means that sometimes family becomes idol. A spouse, uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, children, uh, a job, riches, uh, anything that we might have, anything that we look and see that comes in between our walk and our commitment with the Lord Jesus Christ becomes an idol. And you know, the interesting thing is every one of these idols is temporary. Every one of them. And even, even riches, riches perish with their use. I mean, what is there that we see in this realm, 
that isn't temporary. It's all temporary. As a pastor friend of mine used to say, say it's, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Everything that we see and, and grab and touch, it's all going to burn. It's all temporary. It's amazing when we stop to think about the time and the effort that we put in to things that are temporary. Amen? Amen. I mean, I'm as guilty as many others. We, we too easy to get our focus off because this is the here and now, this is the loud, and this is the, this is the, the lights, and this is the, the flashing, this is the thing that draws for our attention while that gentle, soft wooing of the Holy Spirit says, come, come away from these things, come abide with me. Well, it's now, for us, it's, it's now time for us to get back into the Gospel of Luke, which is where we were before we got into the Advent season. So I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 21. This is where Jesus himself begins to speak of his second Advent, of his second coming, and he gives the disciples, the followers here, an, an overview of all that that uh, uh, entails in his second advent, in his second coming. Now, each of what's called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, each one of them give us this dialogue of Jesus with his followers, and yet from each one we get a little bit uh, uh, different detail and some additional detail from each one of the writers, from um, Matthew and chapters 24 and 25 and Mark chapter uh, 13 and here in Luke chapter 21. Each one of them have the dialogue, but there are some differences within them. We're going to find that we can divide this whole dialogue up into three primary divisions, and although those divisions aren't necessarily clear in all three of the Gospels, we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. We're also going to find that this information was absolutely intriguing to the disciples. Because you've got to remember that they were anticipating that, that Jesus was going to come back at, at any moment. Or you, you realize that before his death and crucifixion, they thought he wasn't even leaving. They, they thought he was just going to usher in you know, the kingdom of God, that he wasn't going to go through all of the suffering, even though time and time and time and time again he told them, no, this is going to take place. They just did not get it. Parents, it's like telling your children over and over and over again. Uh, I was going to say a comment about husbands. It's like when your wife tells you over and over again, but uh, I didn't want to put that much conviction on us this morning. <laughs> it, it was something that was intriguing to his disciples, but it was also int intriguing to the early church as you go on into the first century. The early church anticipated, expected the second coming of Christ at, at, at any moment at any time that, that he would come again. And so they live their lives with that kind of an anticipation. It's also intriguing for us today. We await that fulfillment of, of Jesus' promises that, hey, I, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself. I may be going right now, but I'm going to come again. We look forward to that. We ought to be looking forward to that. If you're not looking forward to that, you know what the problem is? You have too much of a firm hold on this terra firma. 
You have way too much hold on these temporary things if you're not looking forward and hastening the day of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I've, I've shared with you before, that we could probably draw a very full crowd if we advertise throughout the city and on the radio station that over the next few weeks we're going to be speaking about the second coming of Christ. Why? Because people are interested in that. They're, they're, if, if nothing else, they're downright curious about it. I've heard those church people talk about the second coming of Jesus for years and years. Let's go see what they have to say. They may not even be born again. They may not even know the Lord, but just out of curiosity, they want to come in and find out what this is all about. But I just want to let you know, we're not going to advertise it, okay? But we are going to be taking more than a couple of weeks as we go through this section of Scripture, speaking of the words of Jesus uh, in all three of these Gospel accounts, as well as some of the words that he speaks to them in the Gospel of John. Also, as we go back in the Old Testament, we see some of the Old Testament prophets declaring and speaking about his second coming. And then we'll also be looking at the book of Revelation that, again, shows us very clearly the fulfillment of the those words of yet is of what is yet to take place. So all of these things are going to be coming together and trying to put them together in some kind of an understandable format so that you and I hopefully will get excited that yes, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Maranatha Again, that Aramaic, uh, Syriac word meaning coming soon or he is coming. So again, Maranatha, he is coming. I, I don't know if that's the theme the Lord wants me to give this entire year or not, but I know that's the theme we're starting with this year. And uh, I, I don't think that that's a bad theme at all. So we're not going to advertise it, but if you want to advertise it, if you want to tell a neighbor or a friend or a loved one, hey, you know, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus and Maybe in some of your conversations with friends or neighbors, you've touched on that and maybe not been able to fully uh, give them a, a complete understanding of it. Invite them to, to come and share in this time together. Well, as I, I shared with you at the offset of this, we're going to be focusing in uh, primarily because we're going through the book of Luke, chapter uh, through the book of Luke, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're now in Luke chapter 21. Primarily, we're going to be focusing in on verses 5 through 38, but again, we're going to be bringing in stuff from Matthew and Mark as we go in, uh, as we go through this. Uh, now, the event that seems to initiate this teaching time that Jesus is going to give about his second coming was the reaction that some of his followers had to, to the beauty and the splendor of the temple there in Jerusalem. If you remember much about, uh, again, the, the history of, of, of the word or the history of the Jews, you know that at this point in time, the temple there in Jerusalem that was absolutely so splendidly, majestically beautiful is what we call Herod's temple. It's also called the second temple. And um, again, we, we see the situation of what's going on here as they leave the temple area and the attention that some of his disciples draw to it. We see, in essence, the same wording, the same situation, almost word for word in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So here in Luke, beginning in verse 5, we read this. And then, as some spoke of the temple, 
how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come in in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. There's a day coming that everything that you see here is going to be taken down. Remember, as I said earlier, it's all temporary. But Jesus is talking about this temple. He said there's a day coming that this temple, everything that you see, there's not going to be left one stone upon another. Uh, The only difference or additions that we find from Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel is very small. Matthew says that it's his disciples that came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Mark tells us that actually one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Uh, Whereas Luke says uh, some spoke of the temple. So again, rather one disciple started it and again it it began uh, as several others joined in. We don't know, but according to each one of the gospel records, there's no doubt that these followers were absolutely totally enamored by the beauty of the temple, and then rightly so. All of its beauty, all of its decorations. Why wouldn't they be? According to some records of the time, it it could have been considered as one of the seven wonders of the world at that point in time because of its beauty. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. And I know that we've touched on it before, but let me uh, share with you once again, just so you can understand the, the attraction of this to these disciples. Now, don't forget also that all those Many of these disciples had probably taken a pilgrimage journey down to Jerusalem uh, multiple times throughout their lives. By and large, these guys were Galileans that had begun following Jesus from up in Galilee and were now down in Jerusalem. And so they come and just the beauty and the splendor of this temple is just overwhelming. The original temple, the first temple, that was built, remember, by King Solomon, the the son of uh, King David. It was one of the most elaborate decorated buildings in the world at its time. And however, during the, the Babylonian invasion around 586, 587 BC, the Babylonians came in, they destroyed the temple and most of Jerusalem and the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. All of that had been knocked down, totally destroyed. It was left in a big pile of debris. That, that was done purposefully by the Babylonians to break the spirit of the Jewish people, to break the spirit of those that they had conquered. They just wiped out everything that meant anything to them. You can look and we see the devastations that have happened in people's lives over the years. I think back because I was looking at a, uh, or watching a a video on on some information about uh, the Hurricane Katrina down in Louisiana. Uh, absolute devastation. Homes, businesses, everything that people owned was suddenly just all taken away. And, and how devastating that was, how heartbroken that was. Well, the, 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 the Babylonians understood that when you came in and conquered a people, if you would take their primary worship center, if you took the things that they counted as special and, and as important in their lives, if you did away with that, you would break the heart of the people. So that's what they did. And then some 70 years later, after being in captivity for 70 years, the Lord allowed such men as Ezra and Jerubbabel and 
Haggai and Nehemiah, along with a host of other workers, to be able to come back to Jerusalem to, be, uh, to begin a, a rebuilding program. First of all, they started rebuilding the temple and then the wall and then the city and then finally getting back to finish the wall. You can read through Ezra and Nehemiah to get a closer understanding of all of those things and all the struggles of that time. Well, as they rebuilt the temple with the time, the resources, and the labor that they had at that point in time, after being 70 years in captivity, well, the finished product was a whole lot smaller than Solomon's temple, and it was nowhere near as ornate or as beautiful as Solomon's temple was. It was pretty much inferior in every way. And this is what the Jews had to worship in and to offer their sacrifices for the next 500 years until the Romans came. The Romans came in and they set up Herod as the, as the authority or the rule over the area of Judah. And Herod wanted to leave a, a legacy behind himself. He knew himself that eventually he would die. He would pass on into eternity. He wanted to leave some kind of a legacy. So he began this enormous building campaign all throughout Judea. As they came through, uh, he, he began working and building on the Jews' temple. Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to please the Jews because he was the authority over them, but also as part of his living legacy. Well, uh, according to Flavius Josephus, as Herod began these building projects, he paid for them through heavy taxes. So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to build you this beautiful temple. Oh yeah, but by the way, you're paying for it. So I don't know how, how much it pleased the Jews at that point. But all of these magnificent construction projects built by Herod during that time, of all of these, most people say that his masterpiece was the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. And that project in particular actually began around 20 BC, and it wasn't completed until by his son, after Herod the Great died, his son Herod uh, finished it up by AD 63, 80 years to finish this project. Now not to belabor the point, but just to help you to see the beauty of this and the majesty of this build. Again, according to Josephus, some of the stones that made up the temple and the walls that surrounded the temple weighed well over a hundred tons. The largest of them measuring 44 and a half feet long by 11 feet high by 16 and a half feet wide or deep. Again, Weighing itself, they, they believe somewhere between 567 to 628 tons. Now that's enormous. How do you move all that? Well, the same way those with the, that did the pyramids. I mean, again, the labor, the ingenuity, all that was there. Now, that was the largest. The average range of the stones were about 15 feet in length, but that was still a big stone. The exterior of the temple itself was covered with polished white slabs of stone, giving it the illusion of being snow-capped from the distance. So as you were traveling to Jerusalem, even during the summertime, once you got a view of the temple from where you were, Herod's temple looked like it was snow-capped and just absolutely beautiful. 
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.